Hey friends, as always, I hope you're doing amazing, even if the circumstances that you find yourself in are not what you hoped they would be. I got this podcast recorded a few days ago and been working since then to try to play with the audio and get it as best quality as I could, and I believe that I've achieved that. I learned a lot while I recorded this podcast, both as an interviewer uh, and a producer, uh, learning things like tedious uh, phone calls with recording audio for this podcast and other things like I touch my face a lot, but I use filler words way more frequently. Anyway, I hope you get a lot of value from this podcast. I'm super excited to introduce to you today Dr. Carly Golightly. She was a classmate of mine at the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine in Tempe, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix right down the street from Arizona State University. She now has a practice in San Diego, California, and I have to say I'm a little jealous. Anyway, she is a great physician. I never had a doubt that she would be, and she dropped some real gems here about how she is dealing with the coronavirus, both as a physician and as a possible patient. Um, I want to remind you that anything that I say or that she says does not count as a medical opinion, shouldn't be taken as medical advice, and as always, you should contact your specific doctor uh, before you employ anything, whether you hear it here or otherwise. Um, Carly also is an adjunct professor at a medical school, and I am a current medical student at Bastyr University, and so nothing that is said on this podcast or other episodes uh, reflect the opinion of the university or anybody affiliated with the university. Now that we've got the disclaimers out of the way, uh, sit back and get ready to soak up some knowledge with Dr. Carly Golightly. All right, so here I've got uh, Dr. Carly Golightly with me. Um, I should have asked you this before. Do you, do you like Dr. Carly, Dr. Golightly, Dr. G? What would you like to go by now? I think I'm still developing my pseudonym right now. So I don't know, okay. Dan, what do you think? <laughs> I don't, I, well, we can go with Dr. Carly. I think okay. that's good. <laughs> okay, bye. So, so I'm glad we could connect. Um, you are in California in the San Diego area. so. You are definitely experiencing the, the coronavirus experience along with the rest of America. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is kind of your take as to where we are now? You know, and this is something that we talked about earlier, it's just a very unique and unprecedented experience for everybody. I think that it's forcing a lot of us out of our comfort zones. Um, it's forcing us to get more creative about how we socialize, how we live our lives, how we conduct our businesses. And um, it's, it's been a very scary time for a lot of people as well. I mean, just in terms of the, well, so for example, here in California, we have basically shut down all outdoor activities, like outside is almost closed, which is a very weird thing to go down to the beach like I did yesterday. See, beach roped off 
there's a point where there you can't even get onto the sand. There's literally no one. Imagine that it's San Diego Beach with nobody on it, which is very surreal. It feels very apocalyptic. So I can't help but I understand why people feel so scared about this because it does seem very strange. I mean, when else in the history of, of California has the beaches ever been completely closed down? So like I said, it, it's a very unprecedented and weird time for sure. Agreed. Agreed. I, I had someone say on Facebook that while none of this is ideal in any way, you know, if we could have had this happen in like January, it, it might have been easier to get people to, to adhere to the social distancing or the, the shelter in place orders. Um, yeah. You know, it's getting warm everywhere. And of course, it's, it's nice in San Diego almost year round. Um, but mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to ask people, especially kids, to, to not go outside. So uh, kind of my, my first question to you, especially being a, a naturopathic physician, is how do naturopathic physicians or how do practitioners of naturopathic medicine kind of fit into this whole thing? Yeah, we're in an interesting position here. Most of us naturopathic physicians have either private practices or um, we work in small practices with other naturopathic physicians. And a lot of us have chosen to move our practices to virtual consultations in an effort to comply with a lot of the regulations that are going out right now and to keep our patients and ourselves safe too, of course. So we are still, we're still seeing patients and we're still doing our best to um, have a supportive role in all of this. Um, but I think a lot of us would like to do a lot more. Obviously, we're, we're trained physicians and we know how to respond to crises like this. But um, due to some of the, the regulations and things like that, we haven't been able to step into that role yet, which is a little unfortunate. Agreed. So do you see that, that possibly changing? Like what are the, you know, what's the, the chances that, that this could get potentially so severe that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe naturopathic doctors you know, really get that chance to step up and, and kind of join the front lines, if you will. Yeah, so that's actually a really exciting thing. I'm a, I'm a big silver lining person. So I love to see the silver lining in things. I think that with every obstacle and challenge comes opportunity. And our national um, academy, so the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, AANP, has been doing a really wonderful job of keeping daily up to date. So they're basically um, publishing daily um, newsletters about what's happening with this whole COVID-19 thing, um, how naturopathic doctors can respond, how we can have a role in supportive care, and then also importantly, what the AANP is doing and leveraging out of this situation to um, expand the licensure of naturopathic doctors. And one of the things that they're working on in this out of this situation is the fact that, hey, naturopathic doctors are fully trained physicians. We do four years of medical school. We understand emergency medicine. We understand how to administer different medications. We understand how these things work. And because of the fact that we're being limited by only being licensed in about half of the states, we're not able to step up and answer the call when people need us. And that's one of the issues that we're seeing a lot with this COVID-19 is we've got these poor healthcare workers are being worked to the bone. They're exhausted, they're tired, they need relief, they need some help, but we can't help them and we want to. 
So AAMP is really using this as just an example of saying, hey, we would love to, we would love to step into that wall. We would love to fill those shoes. We would love to be there for you guys and support our brothers and sisters in medicine, which is a really, really valuable thing that we can we can offer. The other thing that's been really interesting and has come out of this is um, a lot of NDs have noticed that they're not even able to volunteer for emergency disaster services in their states. So for example, I'm in California and in California, there's a website that you can go to where if you're a healthcare worker, um, you can go and volunteer to be called up anytime there's an, a disaster that happens in your state. And I thought this was amazing. So I went on the website and was going to do it. And there is no designation for naturopathic doctors. There are, there's medical doctors, there's acupuncturists, there's chiropractors, there's osteopathic doctors. Um, there's even family and marriage counselors on there, but there aren't naturopathic doctors. And we're, I have a medical license in this state, which is, if you think about it, it's kind of absurd that, you know, a, yeah. a therapist or a counselor could be called up during this time, but someone who holds a medical license cannot. So that's another thing that I know the AANP is working on. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think it's like, I'm flabbergasted and, and especially in California, that's, I mean, that's, you know, a more progressive place in a lot of, a lot of different industries licensure wise. And it's, I mean, it is, somewhat concerning to think like you can have a, a therapist or or even a chiropractor that you know that's up for debate whether or not that's a, a medical license in a lot of states um and to mm -hmm. not have the naturopathic physicians and i think this is an important thing one of uh, speaking of silver linings i think one of the things that could potentially come out of this if naturopathic doctors are, are given this opportunity it, during this crisis is Something that I talked about a few episodes ago on the podcast is that a naturopathic physician is something that I still think is somewhat misconstrued or misunderstood that a naturopathic physician is a physician that is trained in the perspective of naturopathic philosophy, but they're no less of a physician than an osteopathic physician is. An osteopathic physician is trained in a somewhat different philosophy than an MD is, but mm -hmm. an osteopathic physician still holds a medical license. They can still they can still do diagnostic practices. And so I think that's something that, that maybe, you know, not only would we be able to relieve some of the exhaustion and the overwhelm of the conventional medical system with this, but it would also shine a light on, hey, yeah, when I had coronavirus, I was seen by a naturopathic doctor and yes, I've read some really good things about them, but I had no idea that they were also, you know, well-trained in diagnostic skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right about that. I think that this is a really good time for, if you're a naturopathic doctor and you're listening to this, like now is not the time to shrink away into the shadows and not talk about what we do and talk about how powerful our medicine is. Now is the time to stand up tall, to speak about what you do and to offer what you have to the world because what we have is such powerful medicine and we have really truly the epitome of integrative health at our fingertips. There is no one who understands integrative health better than a naturopathic doctor. And in cases like this, we need our medicine. You, you brought up a good point with speaking of the AMP. So I, I think they put out something else too that, that has to do with this other question. I've gotten a lot of people 
uh, which of course I can't answer this since I, I mm -hmm. don't have a medical license currently, but there's mm -hmm. tons of people in my inbox that are asking, hey, what can I do as far as natural medicine goes? Like, can we fight this off of natural medicine? Like, should I just, you know, start like mega dosing echinacea or elderberry? Um, what would you say to those people? I, I never want to, I never want to be the voice that says, no, natural medicine has no place here. But I, I also think that we need to be careful because this, this of all times is not when you want to play a uh, self doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that. And, you know, just before I say anything, I obviously need to make the disclaimer that none of this should be construed as medical advice. Um, and because this COVID virus is novel and we are still researching it and we're still trying to figure out what makes it tick and how we can fight it. We don't particularly know exactly how specific nutrients or herbs are going to affect it. We're all still learning that. So what we have right now are essentially, we have a lot of theories, right? Um, and this is why research is so important is because we need to test those theories and figure out how true they actually are. So all that being said, the best thing that you can do in times like this is to support what we call the foundations of health. So one thing that people need to understand about this virus is that at some point, pretty much everyone is going to get it. So the difference mm -hmm. is how well is your body going to be able to respond and fight off that virus once you get it? So you need to come at it from an understanding of, yes, I'm going to get this most likely, more likely than not, this will happen, but is my body strong enough that it's going to be able to fight it off? So some of the most important things for the immune system to be able to function correctly are um, certain nutrients um, such as, you know, zinc, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D. Um, and then you also need to be having a like a good diet as well. So diets that are high in uh, micronutrients. So like the dark leafy green vegetables, things like that. And something to keep in mind with this. I know people get really excited about taking supplements and stuff like that. But when you get nutrients that come in supplements in the form of food instead, they're much more highly bioavailable bio mm -hmm. and your body can actually use them at a greater rate than if you're taking it from a supplement. Um, so for the majority of people, I would definitely prefer that they're getting these micronutrients that their body needs to, to boost the immune system from food sources. Um, does that mean that you shouldn't be taking some vitamin A, B, C, D, or zinc, or, you know, some other things? I'm not necessarily. No, I, I think that that's okay. And, you know, certainly if you have a deficiency in any of those things, your immune system will be struggling a little bit and you won't be able to fight off a virus um, as, as much as someone who doesn't have a deficiency. But, you know, like I said, I certainly prefer that my patients get these types of nutrients from food. And just going along with that, you know, the, like I said, foundations of health, sleeping, getting hydrated, making sure you're exercising, all those types of things are really, really important in maintaining your immune system. And I know they seem really foundational and they're not sexy. You know, they're not these like these, you know, whatever medication that's going to knock the virus out overnight. But you have to understand that a healthy body is adaptable. A healthy body can fight things off and respond in a way um, that is, is, is completely natural and it makes sense. 
And I think it is interesting, you know, when, when you take a step back and look at this from a kind of a epidemiological approach, a public health perspective, is it not ironic that after all of this time, and, you know, we, we have incredible advances that have come about in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years in medicine. And the biggest thing that we've seen makes an impact on how this thing goes is uh, social distancing and, oh, yeah, make sure you wash your hands. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. yeah. No, it really just it just goes to show you the power of of basics, of very simple things. Agreed. Agreed. I, I mean, you know, I'm a big sports guy, and one of the biggest things mm -hmm. that I've seen in the the coaches that are you know the big time winners, if you look at Nick Saban or Coach K at Duke, um, they spend an incredible amount of time on fundamentals. You've got you know yeah. the championship teams you know shoot thousands of free throws. So I, I agree. Like, I think the basics always play a bigger part than, than we want to give them credit for. I, I wanted to touch on something you said there that I think a lot of people still uh, may be aware of but aren't quite really understanding or, or, or grasping the concept of is we're not necessarily stopping this virus right now. We're, uh, Dr. Fauci said something last week on a press conference, and he said we need to understand that the virus is a lot more in control than we are at this point, meaning when we talk about stopping the spread or flattening the curve, uh, we're not necessarily eliminating this virus. We're just trying to buy time. And I like what you said, see if you go into a little bit more, that in essence, we're all going to end up getting this. And so, you know, just because what we're doing now doesn't mean you're not going to get the coronavirus. We're just trying to figure out different ways to manage it when we all do get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what most of these precautions are for. They're not because that we think that every single person that gets the virus is going to die. The reason that we have are these precautions and we're taking social distancing is because of the fact that we realize that most people are going to get it. And we wanna make sure that our emergency response system, our ICUs specifically, aren't overextended as people who need care are coming into those emergency systems. Because the other thing is, is you have to realize that things like heart attacks and car accidents and stuff like that are still gonna happen. And there are only a limited number of, of resources inside each individual ICU, especially with something like this, which highly attacks the respiratory system. And so if you have someone who um, needs uh, like ECMO or something, which is the extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which is a very, that's a very down the line for severe cases, but most hospitals only have one, maybe two of those machines. So if you have someone multiple people even with the COVID-19 virus or um, infection, and they get into an ICU and a couple of them go into respiratory failure and need something like this, the thing that doctors are gonna have to do is choose which patient gets it. Which if you're a doctor, I mean, your first, first oath that you take is do no harm. So that's a very, very challenging choice to make. So I think what a lot of people really need to understand about the social distancing thing is um, it's, it's really just an effort to quote unquote flatten the curve, right? So to make sure that the people who get sick and need really intensive care doesn't expand at such an exponential rate that we're not able to respond to it. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that the whole thing about this, I, I know we've talked about before you keep up with Dr. Peter Tia. And I mean, I have push notifications for, you know, when his podcast comes out and Joe Rogan actually said something the other day, which I think is probably the best way to put this. Uh, I guess asked him like, well, you know, do you trust what, you know, what all the doctors are saying right now? And he says, well, uh, anytime Dr. Atia gets worried about something, I take it as a sign that I should probably worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you couldn't have said it better. <laughs> right. And yeah. I, Joe Rogan's, you know, to, yeah, to follow his lead in the podcast game and Dr. Atia's expertise, I think is a, a winning combo. And mm-hmm. what Dr. Atia alluded to was, he said, we have to keep in mind that, you know, it's not like we can convert every hospital bed and every ICU bed to the coronavirus. We we may be able to, you know, squeak out a percentage and convert that to accommodate, but it's not like people in America are going to stop having STEMIs during this pandemic. Like we're still going to have people have STEMIs. We're still going to have people, um, you know, that are going to get other things. We're still going to have babies that are born so we have to keep in mind when we're talking about the resources, uh, what that really means. So right. I've we're just got a couple more questions. We're not talking about COVID. We're talking about the entirety of all the medical emergencies that could possibly happen. Correct. Correct. So uh, really just two more questions, which one is, I, I guess, kind of a, a trick one, but I think it's one that we, <laughs> we need to discuss. Is how how do you I mean given what we have today I mean obviously another thing Dr. Tia said was you know the information coming out now whether it's a podcast or a news article or even a CDC guideline is only good right now uh, which is mm-hmm. something that is not the case with most of medicine but mm-hmm. things are moving so fast and it's just so novel uh, that's what's that's what's going on but having what we have today data wise and information wise um from your seat kind of where do you see this playing out like is there you know is there any any glimpse of when things might possibly start to lessen back to quote unquote normal um and if not like you know is there a sign that we can take that says oh when we see this like hey we can start to have some hope Mm, that's a really great question, Dane. And I'm going to be totally honest with you when I say that I don't know. I have I have no idea. And I don't think anyone really does. And that is the simultaneously just interesting and terrifying thing about all this is because we don't really understand what that's going to look like and how this is going to change things. Um, economically speaking, I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep businesses closed um, and people out of jobs before things really take a turn. I mean, they already have for so many people, their lives have been um, turned upside down by this. And I know we just got you know, that whole stimulus package signed into bill, but if that is, that's, that's a measure and it's going to help a little bit, but you know, if this goes on much longer than a month, then, you know, we're looking at some real, some real issues for people. So yeah, you know, it, it's it's hard to say. It's really, really hard to say. And that's why I think everyone is struggling so much with this because it is so uncertain and so up in the air. I I completely agree. I think that the biggest 
I mean, the, and I, I think honestly, that's probably the single best answer that I've heard about this is, you know, I, like, we have no idea. And I think that's why it is somewhat so scary. And I say this every episode that I know of, like, I'm not trying to incite fear, but I think not citing the actual reality is just as dangerous. I, I don't, I'm not a believer in, yeah. I'm a believer in super lines. I'm not a believer in blind optimism. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've yeah. got a scenario where we're saying it may be 12 to 18 months before we get a vaccine available. There's no way we can feasibly, you know, put the economy on standstill and keep people, you know, away from friends. I mean, especially when we're talking about, you know, teenagers and adolescents, like that's, that's not what we're wired mm-hmm. for as humans. Um, and I know mm-hmm. like we have digital resources and stuff, but, you know, as a society, like we are built on you know, human interaction, uh, especially face to face, physical touch, things like that. So I agree. Like, I, I think it's a really tough spot. Um, my, my final question really is, what is your advice to people that are saying, where, where's the correct balance? And what I mean by that is, there's a ton of data coming out. It, it's, it's almost impossible to not have some anxiety and concern over the current situation. In fact, I think that's somewhat healthy. But where is the line of, you know, being informed and staying up to date with what's going on so that you can make decisions for your friends and family and kids, but not being overwhelmed or reading too much into it or overanalyzing? Yeah, I think this is such a great question, Dane. And honestly, this is something that I'm really doing a lot of work in my private practice right now to prepare for uh, the onslaught of, I think, uh, issues that we're going to see with chronic stress, maybe about six months from now after all this has passed. Because I I think that a lot of people are incredibly anxious and overstressed and overwhelmed and um, not being cautious about how much they are um, allowing into their to their minds, into their homes. And I think we're going to see a lot of people who struggle a lot with some some issues, some diseases and disorders caused by chronic stress in the next six months to a year. So on that note, I think that limiting your time is a really great way to start. One of the things that I've seen with a lot of people is they just have news on all day, all day long, taking in news broadcasts and constantly looking on their phones for updates. You've got to stop that. You have to stop that you cannot live in this. There is no way that you're going to be able to live a normal life if you're constantly immersed in this deluge of information. So my first advice to people is to limit your time. Set a timer for 15 minutes, maybe once in the morning and once in the early afternoon, and that's it. And um, check reputable sources. So the CDC and the WHO are really great, great resources. So CDC and then WHO is the World Health Organization. I also check a local resource. So um, I have, there's a, it's KPBS out here in San Diego. So find a good local news resource that maybe does a daily updated blog that tells you what's going on in your city. And that honestly, Dane, that's where I would stop. I would not do any more than that. Uh, If you want to go into listening to podcasts, uh, Peter Atia, like you mentioned, the Peter Atia Drive, that's a really great podcast for unbiased information. Um, very science driven. I personally listen to it and use it as one of my resources to keep updated. But again, those podcasts are maybe an hour long. And if I listen to one, that's it. That's that's all I allow for the day. 
So I think you just have to be very conscious, especially because we don't know how long this thing is going to be going on for. And if you're constantly immersed in it all day, every day for, you know, weeks, months, who knows how long that can be severely detrimental to your mental and emotional health. Yeah. Cause we're really just in survival mode right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, you know, we're essentially running from the bear 24 hours a day. I, I want to give you a chance to, to kind of leave your mark here. Um, what would be, you know, something that you wish, I mean, obviously, you know, people stay home, wash your hands, things like that. Um, try to limit the amount of exposure you're going to give yourself to the media. What would be the biggest thing that, that you think we could do, uh, whether it's to the medical community or just to the general population? What, what would you tell, you know, if, you, if we gave you the microphone at the White House press conference tonight, what, what would you tell the world, like, this is the single biggest thing we can do to kind of move the needle on this? To move the needle on uh, and, and getting, moving people through the coronavirus? Like- yeah, yeah, to, to getting past this pandemic. Mm. Well, you know, this might be, you know, not necessarily not a scientific answer or anything that has to do with politics okay. or anything like that. But I think that now more than ever is a time for us to really lean on each other and to to really pour into our communities. Because one of the things that you mentioned earlier, which I thought was so important, is the fact that human beings are not meant to be separated like we are meant to to connect in person to touch to to be in each other's presence and having that stripped away is is really detrimental in a lot of ways um you know there there have been studies that have done that people Mm -hmm. who have rich social lives actually live longer and we're we're stripping away a big piece of that right now so i think Mm -hmm. that the way that people can have the biggest impact and make the most out of this is to not forget your communities, to not forget to pour into people. And one thing that I'm actually hoping that comes out of this is that people realize how important community is, how important being social and loving each other really is. Because sometimes it, you have to have all those things taken away to really realize what an amazing impact they have on your life. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're super busy, especially with everything that's going on. As Sean Evans says on uh, his YouTube channel, there's there's nothing left to do but roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you as a, as a physician and, and keep up to date with what you're doing? Yeah, so my website is drgolightlynd.com. And then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as holisticfitdoc. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carly. Thank you, Dane. A huge thank you to Dr. Carly for taking the time out of her schedule right now with everything going on, especially to come on here and drop some knowledge bombs, hang out with me over the air, and really provide a perspective of what's going on in the world of a naturopathic physician during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like to keep up with Dr. Carly, interact with her, or talk more about what she gave today, then I have included her contact information in this episode description for you. I've got two more episodes already in the books that are dealing with sharing a perspective from other people in other parts of the country, and I hope you'll enjoy those as well. I've got more interviews on the books now, and 
having guests on here is going to be a regular thing going forward. As always, I would love your feedback. If you wanted to help out and help us spread this message, if you would please consider subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a review on iTunes, I would be super grateful. As always, I'm not trying to make money or get rich off of this. I'm simply trying to provide what I think is a very much needed perspective to help us get through this thing with as little casualties as possible so that we can all get back to the lives that we enjoy. Love you guys. See you in the next one.